We are in the book of Genesis. We are beginning today the 17th chapter. Should be an outline on the table for you to use. Abram to Abraham and the covenant of circumcision is where we start today with chapter 17. And we are making really speedy progress, aren't we? I understand there's some gambling going on in the room. In a Baptist church, can you imagine? Gambling is the year that we will finish Genesis. So I'm not going to name any names, but they're right over here. We'll see how it all comes out. All right, let's bow together for prayer. Father, you are so good to us. We love you and adore you. We worship you today. We thank you for sweet fellowship. We thank you for the good food and pray that you'll use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies. We thank you for your precious word and pray that you will speak to us from Genesis today. May we take home things that will help us and that we can apply to our lives that will help us to live for you in the way that we should. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Thank you for his death on the cross, his glorious resurrection, for the salvation that we have in him. And pray now that we will sense your presence in this room. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, if you look at uh, look at chapter 17, Abram to Abraham and the covenant of circumcision. Before you look at verse 1 of chapter 17, look at the last verse of chapter 16. And it says, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So Abram was 86. That leads very naturally into verse 1 of chapter 17 which says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. So let's stop there and pause for a moment. Do the math. 86 to 99. 13 years between the moment that we're, where we're beginning today and the birth of Ishmael. Ishmael is now a teenager. Sarai has had to see him for well over a decade. And still, she is barren. No child. So the tension between Sarai and Hagar has only intensified. We dealt with that issue last week. What is obvious moving forward is that Abram loves his son Ishmael. And that Ishmael, also what becomes obvious as we move forward, is that Ishmael has that prophesied, untamed, contrary nature. And we'll see that exposed shortly. Sarai is now 89 years old. Way past childbearing years. She is embarrassed, she is frustrated, yet at the same time she is well aware of God's promise that she is going to have a child and that God is going to bless the world through that child. So imagine if you can try to put yourself in Sarai's place, if you're a lady and if you're a man, try to put yourself in Abram's place. Thirteen more years have passed. Still no pregnancy for Sarah. And not only no pregnancy, but she is having to see Ishmael 
grow up from infancy, uh, playing around Hagar, his mother, and she is noticing also that her husband Abram is very fond of and loves Ishmael, and which he should. Nothing wrong with that. He should love Ishmael. But Sarah's frustrated because she wants to see the day when that love is shared with their son. And it hasn't happened yet. Yet in verse 18 of chapter 17, we find revealed that Abram's hopes seem now to have somewhat shifted in hopes that God might decide to let Ishmael be the child of promise. Because if you look at verse 18 of chapter 17, Abram said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Now God will respond to that in a, in a very sweet, precious way, but we'll get to that shortly. So in, verse, in chapter 17, God came to Abram, as we will see in a moment, and elevated his faith by once again confirming the promise, this time by the covenant of circumcision and sealed by Abram's obedience. And in chapter 17, we get four new names. We get the name God Almighty, we get the name Abraham, we get the name Sarah, and we discover the name of the child of promise, Isaac. So four new names in 27 verses. So, let's read the chapter. Now, 27 verses are a lot to read at one time, but for this chapter, I think it's best that we get the whole picture before we do a little dissection of it. So, verse 1 of chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. First time we've seen that name used for God in the Bible. I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So here again, God is promising to Abraham that you will have seed that will be as numerous as the sands of the sea and as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. Now imagine those words ringing in his ears. I'll make you very fruitful, Mr. 99-year-old. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Now, is there any way to define everlasting other than everlasting? There isn't. 
Verse 9. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you're to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You're to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day, and every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Uh, before we go back to verse 1, I just want you to notice the immediacy of the uh, obedience of Abraham. God said, you are to be circumcised and all of the males are to be circumcised. And as painful as Abraham knew that was going to be, human nature would say, okay, let's see, let's schedule surgery three months from now. <laughs> but that isn't what happened. His obedience was immediate. That very day. He was circumcised and all the males in his household were circumcised. So Abraham is showing the strength and the power of his faith throughout this chapter. And nowhere is it any clearer than the immediacy of his obedience to what God told him to do. So let's think about this chapter. Verse 1, we discover that God identifies himself as God Almighty, El Shaddai. And that is the first time that God goes by that name in Scripture, the first use of the title. El Shaddai, God Almighty, carries with it the, the, the sense of power and sovereignty. And it is the name by which the patriarchs came to know God. If you want to reference Exodus chapter 6 verse 3, you
You can jot that down and it says, uh, God speaking to Moses, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. So here is the first instance of that name being used in the scripture. By this name, God is saying to Abraham, I am able to fulfill the hopes that I have set before you of a people and a land. So Abraham, I have made a promise to you and my name signified El Shaddai, God Almighty, is my way of signifying to you, I can and I will keep my promise to you of a people and a land. Now, here's a question for us to ask. As we watch Abraham not let go of the promise, exercise his faith, demonstrate that he believes God is going to keep his promise, believing that God is indeed God Almighty, the question for us is, what do you truly believe about God? Because what you truly believe about God really shapes the entirety of your life and of your faith. What do you believe about God? Is he who he says he is? Has he done what the Bible claims he has done? Will he do through us and for us what the scripture says he will do? So God Almighty. We go to verse 5 and we find that Abram's name is now Abraham. Names are so important in, uh, in the ancient Middle East. In fact, they really still are. Uh, they, they put a lot of, in the Middle East, both in uh, Arab society and in Jewish society, they put a lot of um, thought into names and a lot of uh, stock in names. And, and I think we do, we do too. I mean, really, you, you didn't just, probably, I don't think you didn't name your kids just like, oh, I saw somebody on TV the other day that was funny. I think I'll name my child after that person. You put some thought and perhaps a good amount of prayer into what you would name your sons or your daughters. And it, it was meaningful to you. It may have been a family name, it may have been a biblical name, but you put some thought into the naming of your children. And so names are, are very, very important. And, and the thinking among Middle Eastern society of that day was that a, a name would often be who a person turned out to be. If the name was one of greatness and power, then that's what they expected their child to be. And so... In renaming Abram and Sarai, God is reminding those two and us of his divine sovereignty and lordship because he has the authority to change names and he exercises that lordship and that authority in saying to Abram, your name's now Abraham and later to Sarai, your name is Sarah. So Abraham means father of a multitude. That's what the name means. Father of a multitude. So the very name is a reminder of the promise. Father of a multitude. Abram's 99 years old. And the child of the promise has not yet been born. In fact, Sarah is not even pregnant yet. And yet Abram's called Abraham a, a father of a multitude. So in the renaming of Abraham... 
That is another way God is saying to him, I'm going to keep my promise. I am. I'm going to keep my promise. I, I know you've been waiting a long time. I'm going to keep my promise to you, Abraham. You will be a father of, of many, of a multitude. So how many times in a day does someone say your name? Well, probably many times. Uh, if you're out and about at all, you're probably going to have your name called many, many times. So think about that for Abraham. Every time somebody would say to him, Abraham, it would be a reminder. Every time he thought about what God had said, Abraham, it would be a reminder that he will be the father of a multitude. And verse 6, he says, and kings will come from you. And wow, they did. A thousand years later, David. Later on, Jesus. And so God will keep his promise to Abraham. Now we get to verse 9 and uh, through 14, and it, it talks about circumcision. The rainbow is the sign of God's covenant with Noah. We, we remember reading that. The Sabbath will be the sign of the covenant that God makes with his people at Sinai later. Circumcision becomes the sign of the covenant with Abraham. God did not invent circumcision with Abraham. It existed for centuries in Egypt before this pronouncement to Abraham. But it now receives a new meaning in Genesis chapter 17. For instance, thousands of people were crucified on Roman crosses before Jesus was crucified. But once Jesus was crucified, the cross took on a new meaning. So beginning with chapter 17, circumcision takes on a new meaning. Circumcision is symbolic of the people's commitment to a life for God, to a life committed to God. So the physical act of circumcision is a reminder and a symbol of that heart commitment that they are making to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6 it says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. So not only does the Bible speak of the physical act of circumcision on a male, but it also speaks of the circumcision of the heart of a faithful believer as God cuts away, as it were, the flesh, the, the, the sinful flesh from our hearts as we are fully devoted to him. So circumcision is a literal physical act, as we well know, but also it is a symbolic act of our commitment to and relationship with God. In Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4, Jeremiah says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or the wrath of God will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you have done, burn with no one to quench it. So that was Jeremiah's way of speaking for God and saying to the people, circumcise your hearts, get right with God, or else bad things are going to happen. So circumcision is a literal physical act that is symbolic of the fact that Israel is set aside for God. Just like a wedding ring symbolizes a commitment on the part of a man and a woman, 
So circumcision symbolizes a commitment between God's people and, and God. But there's a difference. A wedding ring can be removed and cast aside, and tragically it happens way too often. But circumcision cannot be removed like a ring and cast aside. It is a permanent reminder of one's commitment to God. And for the male who undergoes circumcision, it inflicts pain and draws blood. And so every Hebrew male, from Abraham to Jesus, from Jesus to this very day, it has a reminder. I am different. I am distinctive. There is in my body, on my body, a symbolic reminder that I belong to God. In verse 14, Jesus says, Any male who refuses to be circumcised will be cut off from the people. So everyone will submit to circumcision. Every male, the rich male and the poor male, everyone will submit to God. God's way is the only way. And on a daily basis, contemplate this circumcision, on a daily basis, every Jewish male is reminded of the covenant numerous times every day. That's enough detail, but you understand. Every day, the Jewish male is reminded of the covenant that he has with God. In intimacy, every husband and wife are reminded of the covenant with God. And if a Jewish man sins by adultery, he will be reminded in the very act of adultery that he ought not be doing this because he is committed to God or supposed to be committed to God. So that is the right of circumcision. Then we come to verses 15 and 16 and Sarai gets a new name. And it's the name Sarah. Sarai means princess. Sarah means princess. There's no change in the definition of the name. Etymologically, I looked at every book I had to find out Sarai to Sarah. And etymologically, no explanation, no difference in the meaning of the name. It's just God said your name is now Sarah. And so I say, okay, God, you, you named her Sarah. That's good enough for me. So the princesses bear kings. And she is going to bear a king. She'll bear a child. And, and the sacred royal dynasty will forever have her blood in them, in their veins. Ultimately to be found in the lion of the tribe of Judah named Jesus. Now... We find in this chapter that Abraham laughs. He falls down first as an act of submission, worship to God, and then he laughs. Now, we also know that Sarah laughed later. We're going to read that. And she is, God's going to say, you shouldn't have done that. But he doesn't say that to Abraham. To Abraham. Abraham laughs. He's down the ground. So was the laughter of Abraham... An expression of doubt. And I'm going to say from the text, evidently not. Because God voices no disapproval in the laughter of Abraham. In contrast, we get to chapter 18, verse 13. Sarah laughs and the Lord rebukes her. 
Because her laughter meant something different than Abraham's laughter. Her laughter expressed her ongoing lack of faith in God's promise. Abraham's laughter would then appear to us to be the laughter of relief and joy that comes at last in knowing soon and very soon the promise is going to be kept. And, and to me, that makes perfect sense. Maybe you've had that experience where you've just been balled up in a knot with, and all of a sudden God answers the prayer you've been praying for a long time and this the relief is a celebration and you laugh and, and it's just the emotion is released. And I think that's what we're finding in Abraham. He falls down before God and he laughs, not because he's doubting, but because he's just so thankful to know that soon God is going to fulfill the promise that he has made to me. Here's what Paul says about it. Let's get a little commentary on, on, uh, on the situation from, from Paul in Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been, as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That's El Shaddai, God Almighty. He will do what he has promised to do. Now in verse 19, we discover that the name of the boy who is going to be born is Isaac. And Isaac means laughter. Yes, Isaac means laughter. So again, it is the case. God was not displeased. It was a joyful expression on the part of Abraham. And the child will be a remembrance of that. The name Isaac, which means laughter. An expression of God's blessing and their joy. Now, again... We notice immediately Abraham's obedience. He's not putting this off. He's not thinking about it. He just says, God said it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it right now. We're going to get this done. And that was the act of circumcision for himself and every male in his family, including his son Ishmael. There was the circumcision of every male in the household of Abraham. Now, there's a circumcision done by Christ, the scripture tells us. Kings did come out of Abraham and Sarah, David, and then Jesus. But circumcision of the heart is a biblical way of saying that the sinful flesh has been cut away. We belong totally and completely and 100% to God. So Abraham had a great faith tested by time and advancing age. But we see an obedience on the part of Abraham as we saw an obedience on the part of Jesus who on the night he was betrayed cried out in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, is there any other way yet? I know there isn't, so not my will but thine be done. The obedience of Jesus. Colossians 2, 11 through 14 speaks to us of that circumcision of the heart. And let me read that passage of scripture before we finish today. Colossians 2, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. 
having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your uh, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So we come to chapter 18, and there is the pronouncement again, the time for the baby to be born is soon. The baby is soon to come. Now, uh, we're really too, too, we're too far down on time to get into chapter 18. But just know it's afternoon, chores have been done, hot as it can be. Abraham's resting, uh, equivalent of siesta. He and everybody else is resting in their tents or outside their tents. The heat of the day, they've done their work. They'll work again when it cools off in the evening, but for now they're resting. And uh, Abraham looks up and he sees three men. He's surprised. He's surprised because he can see horizon to horizon and he didn't see these guys coming. Where did they come from? It was almost as if they just appeared. But when he sees them, he his Middle Eastern hospitality kicks into high gear immediately. So Abraham uh, springs to his feet as fast as a 100-year-old can spring to his feet. <laughs> and he looks at these men and he recognizes that these are men of stature just from the way they look. He doesn't yet know who they are, but he knows they're important. And so he bows in respect and asks, will you stay? We'll wash your feet. I'll give you some bread to eat and some water to drink. Will you stay? And they agree to stay. And so Abraham goes to work and he turns what looked like was intended to be a few pieces of bread, he had a lot more in mind. It's just the text makes it look like, okay, a little morsel of bread. Um, maybe you have a footnote in your in your Bible that will share this with. This turns into a banquet because he slaughters a calf, serves him yogurt, and you know how much bread that Sarah cooks? 36 Pounds. 36 pounds. So this turns into quite an event, which is a, a great picture of the Middle Eastern hospitality. Abram was, Abraham was determined, these guys, I want to make these guys feel welcome and at home, and they're welcome to stay here, and I'm going to feed them. And, but little does he know that he is entertaining Two angels and God in the flesh. Yahweh is here. He's come for dinner. And this is the only time in Scripture until Jesus is born that God eats with man. And it's about to happen right here. 
God's standing there. He's going to take a seat. And he's going to eat a meal with Abraham. And this turns into be, to, to an amazing, amazing occasion. So, a little uh, tidbit for next week. We'll start right there a week from today. Hope to see you back. God bless you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what we've read today. I pray, Father, that we would have a faith like that of Abraham. We would not falter. We would not grow weary. That we would remember that every promise you make, you will keep. And those promises include things like, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. No one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. And we remember those and we claim them. And so give us strength we need today. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.